So friends, uh, it's really great to be with you this morning. Um, if uh, I think you might relate to how I'm feeling right now. I, I, I teach, and our semester just ended last week. We had uh, commencement a couple days ago, and I know uh, Yasmin, uh, Jasmine had her commencement yesterday. I don't know if she's here. Yes. <laughs> um, and regularly, every time this time, uh, during this time of year, I'm pretty exhausted. I'm just kind of crawling to the finish line. And I feel like there's something about this, especially this past year, where on top of the kind of annual rhythms that a, a teacher goes through, there's COVID, you know, and as a result, I feel like today uh, is kind of the culmination of a whole year's worth of junk and stuff, and I feel super, super tired and exhausted. And one of the reasons why I feel um, so grateful to be preaching is because uh, preaching, and this is my confession, a lot of times I don't have the motivation to read the Word of God when I need it. And uh, preaching is really helpful because it keeps me, I mean, otherwise this last week, I'm not sure how much of uh, the Word of God would have uh, been in my mind this week because I'm so busy and so tired. And I find that especially it's during these times in the year where we're really tired and not prone to read the Word of God, it's, these are the times where we really need the Word of God the most, right? And this is certainly the case uh, for me because as I was reading and reflecting on today's passage in Isaiah chapter 6, I'm just so thankful for all that God has spoken to me because I really needed to hear that. It, uh, this passage has brought me back to uh, my sense of calling. It's grounded me back on kind of why I'm doing uh, what I'm doing. And it's also invited me to reflect on all the different times that the Lord has showed up in my life and given me a sense of direction and a, a sense of calling. And as I begin to transition to the summer, I am looking forward to continuing this conversation with the Lord and exploring perhaps what he has in store for me and for us uh, in the future. And my hope uh, this morning is that this passage can bless you all in a similar way as you reflect on God's calling in your life that hasn't changed during this last year of COVID. And as you also look forward to God's calling for you in the coming days. If you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6, and we're going to start with verse 1, and I'm supposed to preach on the whole chapter, and that was the original plan, but I think I'm only going to go through three or four verses. This is kind of very typical for me, um, and then we'll, we'll save the rest for perhaps a, a later time. So Isaiah chapter 6, uh, verse 1, it says this, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, two, with two he covered his face, with the two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, and this is Isaiah speaking, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. 
Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am. Send me. This is a famous passage of scripture that I'm sure, I'm sure that many of you have heard before. And the passage here provides a context for what most biblical commentaries believe is God's calling to the prophet Isaiah. So it's fair to say that perhaps this chapter functions a bit like an autobiography, where, uh, whereby Isaiah is looking back and he's reflecting and now he's writing about a crucial moment in his life when God just showed up in a special way and changed the trajectory of his entire life. And when I re reflect on my own life these last few decades, I can think of maybe one or two examples, not as dramatic as, written, uh, as, as it is written here, that God has also showed up in my life as well. And I would, to be honest, I wouldn't be here right now if it weren't for those specific moments where God showed up in my life. Because the message and the direction has remained with me even now, decades later. So starting from verse, uh, verse 1 of Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah writes the following. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So here Isaiah sees God sitting on his throne, high and exalted, and the train of one's robe is kind of that kind of flowy part of the robe that kind of rubs against the ground. I always feel uncomfortable because it, when brides walk around in their gown because it feels super dirty and stuff and it accumulates. But that's the kind of part of the, of the train of the robe that we're talking about, and it fills the entire temple. And most scholars assume that the temple here, uh, unlike my expectations, the temple here isn't up in heaven. It's actually here on earth, Okay. And this is a point that's deeply encouraging because it reminds us that as awesome and as awe-inspiring God is, He still shows up on earth. He's accessible to us here on earth. And God actually meets us here in physical spaces. Sometimes God might show up in the physical space of church, but I would actually say most of the time, God shows up outside of the physical space of church. We, we don't have a monopoly on God's presence here uh, at church. And uh, I believe that one of the benefits of walking with the Lord over a long time is that you gradually accumulate more places here on earth that are special to you because there are places where God kind of, for, for, uh, in his infinite wisdom, he decides to show up in your life expectedly as well as unexpectedly in these physical spaces. For me, when I look back in my past, I can still remember a few special places that I still hold dear in my heart. For example, there's this one uh, Carmelite monastery up in Kensington, California, where I used to go for extended retreat and, and prayer. And back in the days when I was single, and this is before I met Vivian, I remember on Valentine's Day, I would spend the day with the Lord there because I was thinking, well, Valentine's Day is the the day you're supposed to spend with the one you love. Uh, so wouldn't it make sense for me to spend the day with the Lord during that day? And I, and I, I would go to that special place, that monastery, uh, and that place uh, it remains a very special place in my heart. And in more recent history, I often uh, think about this one place on the other side of the world uh, that overlooks uh, this lake in uh, the Singapore Botanic Gardens. And 
about five years ago, uh, when I was there about 5 a.m., I was super jet lagged and normally not up at 5 a.m. Um, and God just showed up uh, to me in that, in that space. And that moment created this fire in my heart that's still there and it shows up in my dreams and, and, and it has directed my passions and my direction in life ever since. It's one of the reasons why I'm overseas so much during the summers and in the winters. And every time I go back in Singapore, and hopefully travel is going to be uh, possible soon, I, I go back to that same spot and I spend time with the Lord and I remember that time that we had together and we make new memories together as well. So I have a question for you. And the question is this. We've been talking about physical spaces on earth whereby God has met with us in, in the past. I'm wondering, where are some of the physical spaces in the world that are meaningful to you because the Lord has met you there? So if you're comfortable, don't feel like you have to. I know we're still in the age of social, uh, in the season of social distancing. Perhaps with a person next to you in your pod or even across pods if you're comfortable, um, I'd love for you to share a little bit, like, what are some physical places where uh, they're special to you because God has showed up to you in that, in, in that space? And it could be a place nearby or it could be a place far away. Let's discuss. Okay, let's all come back together, and let me just say how grateful and happy I am to be able to lead, to have these small group discussions again in person, where I can actually see people's faces and read your body language and do my uh, psychological kind of uh, mind tricks and kind of read people's, uh, anyway, I don't want to do that, but, um, and as I'm also kind of eavesdropping on you guys, and I'm hearing stuff like, you know, I've met God in coffee shops, I've met God on hikes you know, by waterfalls, I've met, I don't know if someone mentioned a shower, is that, <laughs> I can kind of relate to that, uh, or maybe like uh, retreat centers where we meet uh, God, kind of uh, just us and God, there's a whole variety of different places, and I wish we, uh, it'd be great for us to actually even go around, and we're not going to do that, but uh, to hear all the different kinds of places, and I hope that this might be an encouragement to us, that God can show up in our lives pretty much anywhere. You know, even in places uh, when we don't expect, and sometimes that's when uh, some of the most important, most blessed moments uh, might be. Let's uh, continue in the passage uh, with verse 2 of Isaiah chapter 6. And it says this, above, God, above him, above God, stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So above the, uh, the Lord, who seated on his throne, stood these heavenly beings called seraphim. And it's interesting because this passage of Scripture is the only passage in all of Scripture that references these kinds of angelic uh, heavenly beings called seraphim. Uh, elsewhere in scripture, there are references to angels, archangels, principalities, powers, cherubim. But this is the only place where seraphim or seraphs are mentioned. Even, and, and we know that there's a diversity of different kinds of beings up in heaven, which is something that I would love to study more and learn more about. And what we do know about seraphs 
is that they are very bright creatures. And we know that because the word seraph, the Hebrew word seraph, means burning ones. But the curious thing here is that even though these are bright, burning creatures, yet before God, they're still hiding their faces because God is even brighter and God is even more glorious. In fact, with two wings, they cover their face. They, uh, two wings they use to fly. Two wings they cover their feet, which suggests humility before God, that these awesome angelic burning and bright angelic beings called seraphs, that even them, they need to hide their face before God because God's radiance is even brighter, uh, orders of magnitude brighter than them. And the seraphim are calling to each other, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And you notice the word holy showing up three times here. That's a reference to the holiness of the triune God, of God the Father, God the Son, and of God uh, and of the Holy Spirit. And to be holy means to be set apart, to be otherworldly, to be kind of beyond uh, what's in front of us, to be beyond us. And here, in just these opening three verses that we've gone through together, we encounter quite possibly the most important, one of the most important characteristics, I would say the most one of the most important paradoxes of God. That on one hand, we see that God is imminent, um, that he is accessible, he's present, he's relatable. Remember that conversation where God actually meets us in physical spaces here on earth? So that's one side of the paradox of God. And at the same time, God is also transcendent. He's beyond us. He's otherworldly. He's so glorious. We, he's beyond us. And any biblical understanding of God must always hold together these two tensions, uh, this, these two ends of the paradox of God's eminence on one hand and of God's transcendence on the other hand. So when the seraphim speak of God's holiness, they're talking about God's transcendence. And they're also talking about God's glory. And these terms, in fact, are quite interrelated. Back when I was in my early 20s, I did a summer internship with a man by the name of Stephen Hawthorne. And he was a prayer mobilizer for world prayer movements. And he authored this course called the Perspectives on the World Christian Movement. That's something that was deeply formative in the formation and discipleship of both Vivian and I. And in this course, uh, Steve wrote an article called The Story of His Glory. And in it, he says the following about God's glory. He says this, Glory refers to the essential worth, beauty, and value of people, of created things, and of course, the Creator Himself. The Hebrew word for glory is a word meaning weight, a substance, and at the same time, brilliance and radiant beauty. To glorify someone is to recognize this worth, this intrinsic worth and beauty, and to speak of it in... Uh, in a public way. So by speaking of God's holiness and God's glory, the seraphim here are speaking of God's immeasurable weight, his radiant beauty, and his brilliance. And these are all markers of God's transcendence, that he's so awesome and so totally beyond us, he's otherworldly. And speaking of God's transcendence, I believe that many of us oftentimes need to be reminded that God isn't like us. As much as we want to think that God is like us because he's present and relatable, 
He's not like us. So, you know, as an American citizen, something I'm proud to, to be and grateful to be, I also need to be reminded that God's not American, right? God doesn't look like us. God doesn't vote like us. He doesn't care about individual rights like many of us do, right? In fact, God uh, asks us to lay down our rights so that we can love the world and love God. And that's what he modeled for us in, uh, in dying for the cross. And there's something about hu sinful human nature that wants to shape God out of our own image rather than the reality which is us being shaped in God's image. So the more that someone thinks that God is an American or Chinese or you know, any kind of nationality in the world, the more one has to question, how much do you actually know God who is holy and transcendent? And this, my friends, is an example of how many of us fail in the paradox of biblical theism. While we might affirm the side of divine imminence, we have lost touch with divine transcendence. And as a result, God becomes, becomes a reflection of your own image. Evidently, my, um, my uh, watch doesn't understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> Hopefully, you guys uh, can a little better than Siri does. <laughs> Let's continue with verse uh, 4 of chapter 6, and it says this. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, this is Isaiah speaking here, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And what I find super interesting here is that when Isaiah beholds this transcendent beauty and glory of the Lord, which all, I know all of us would love to see for ourselves, him seated on the throne, his reaction isn't very much like our experiences at church typically, right? His reaction isn't a, with an experience of peace and love and positivity and warmth and warm feelings. And these are lovely feelings that I often feel when I worship God at church. But these are not the feelings that Isaiah is feeling. Like when Isaiah sees God, and perhaps, perhaps as clearly as any human being can uh, here on earth, he's actually terrified, right? Um, he, because God is so transcendent and holy, Isaiah believes that he's not going to survive this encounter. That's possible. That's a possible reaction as well when we encounter God. And even though God later on calls Isaiah to deliver this prophetic message to, of judgment on the people, people of Judah, Isaiah doesn't see himself as distinct or different from the people who are about to be judged. In fact, he stands in solidarity with him. What does he say? He says, I am a man of unclean lips, and I also dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. We're all of unclean, uh, of unclean lips, right? And this, friends, is also the language of lament, right? Woe is me, for I am ruined. I am a man of, or a woman of unclean lips. And this is why lament is so important to our church, because we're just as sinful as everyone around us. And because this is a natural reaction a natural response to worshiping God, to loving God, to knowing God, and to encountering God. Which brings me back to our last point for today. When we genuinely encounter 
God's presence. It will bring about one of two possible responses. The first possible response is, there's probably more, but I'm just going to highlight two here. The first response is one of joy and of warmth and of being held emotionally. And I love this. I love it when God does that with me. It's the feeling of God's imminence, that God is close, that he is present, that he is love. And I love it when I experience this in prayer and worship and when God makes himself known to me in an intimate way. But friends, that's not the only possible response that we can have when we meet and encounter God. There's also the second possible response that's illustrated here in Isaiah chapter 6. It's a response grounded in God's transcendence. When God reveals himself in his holiness, in his otherworldliness, and brings about a different feeling, this feeling of, oh my gosh, I'm overwhelmed, this is too much, I'm ruined. How can I come before a God as holy as this? And there have been just a few times when I've experienced something like this. One time, back when I was a lot younger, I used to lead worship uh, a few times like that. And another time when I, uh, I spent a, a whole night in prayer and in worship uh, at, up in the Santa Cruz Mountains in this retreat center that was modeled after the, the prayer mountain in South Korea. And in hour number four or five of prayer, God just manifested himself in this really unusual way. And my body literally froze out of fear and dread and awe, and I wept. You know. In our formation as followers of Christ, we need to embrace the entire paradox of God, of God's imminence, his closeness, and God's transcendence, his otherworldliness. And it's important for us to see and to relate to God in both of these ways, in full paradox, because some of us may find ourselves stuck on one side of the paradox, and as a result, we're missing something really important about God. We're, there's miss, something missing, something important missing in our Christian formation. On the side of eminence, some of us might think that God is just like us, that he's this warm, happy, harmless person that I can just hug all day, kind of like Santa Claus or a panda bear, you know? And granted, God does, is that for us uh, many times in our lives. But on the, and, and at the same time, there's others who might be stuck on the other side of the paradox, where, on the side of transcendence, where we think God is too holy to have a relationship with us, or that we are just too fixated on our own helplessness, on how we are just hopelessly sinful, which is also true too, right? And there's a theological term for it, this, uh, that I don't have time to talk more about, but it's called worm theology, but it's also not biblical theology. So the final question that I have for you this morning, and maybe I'll just give you a, a, a few moments if you guys want to discuss this, is this following question. Where do you stand in this paradox of imminence and transcendence um, in your relationship with the Lord? Where do you stand in your encounters and experiences and relationship with God? Um, where do you stand in terms of experiences of God and relating to God in his eminence and his presence and in his transcendence? So let me just pause uh, for a few moments, invite you to discuss this with the person next to you, and then we'll close our time together. Go ahead.
Okay, everyone, let's come back together. Hopefully, as we step our way back into normal uh, normalcy, uh, in the future, we'll be able to do what we did in the past, where not only do we discuss with the person next to you, but I'll invite responses from you guys, and we can interact from there. Won't do that today, uh, but hopefully, we'll uh, we'll work up to that. And um, boy, oh boy, do I have a lot to say about this, but I do have to land the plane today, and. I'm going to continue my um, series of uh, being frustrating and kind of a jerk with you all by leaving you hanging. Um, and, um, and hopefully this will also be a plug because in two weeks time we're going to have um, our first in-person um, reflection Sunday at the park. And we're going to continu continue the conversation in two weeks so you don't have to wait that long. I think in the past I made you wait like a month or two and that was really mean. Sorry about that. So this time you only have to wait two weeks. And we're going to continue this conversation about God's imminence and God's transcendence. There's about two more big points that I wanted to land um, from this passage in Isaiah that I will save uh, for, uh, for then. So uh, for now, um, let's pray and let me, um, uh, and, and we will uh, begin to send you off uh, uh, for the rest of the week. Let's pray. Uh, Father, um, perhaps now more than any other time, if for a long time, your people, us, your, your people, we need to hear and receive what you have for us in this chapter, Isaiah chapter 6. We need to be reminded of our calling, the calling that you have given us uh, over our lives, that you have spoken over our lives, over a whole year of lockdowns, of social distancing, of isolation. Lord, now more than ever before, I believe, we need a fresh reminder. We need a fresh um, uh, articulation. Um, we need to come back to your calling on our lives, which hasn't changed, even though the world has changed so much. And in the upcoming weeks, in the upcoming months, Lord, we invite you to reveal yourself to us, not only in your imminence, not only in your care and your love and your intimacy and your warmth and your presence, in your holding of us and our hearts. Lord, we need that more than, in, 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 more than ever. And at the same time, Lord, we also need for you to show up in our lives as the transcendent God that you are as well. And in our formation and as in our discipleship, Lord, I pray that if there are imbalances in how we relate to you on the side of imminence or on the side of transcendence, Lord, that you might smoothen those imbalances over so that our walk with you and our relationship with you can be even more full and even more mature as time moves on. So we invite you to show up and make your presence known in the different spaces that we occupy in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. For that, Dave, um, a couple things... Uh, I'd like for us to do before we kind of wrap up our time together. Uh, first thing is communion. And I think one thing that, um, uh, we, so we, we follow this liturgy that, that we have at our church whenever we do communion. We've uh, unofficially titled it One Life Online Communion, but, you know, most of us are here doing it together. So there's a paradox right there uh, already, but um, there's a lot of these 
lot of the works of this liturgy is very intentional, and there's a lot of paradox within it. Um, and I would like for us uh, today, as we hear the words of this liturgy, um, to allow the Holy Spirit to bring up in us these paradoxes and then hold them together at the same time. I think one of those paradoxes is when we say that this is the cup and this is the body broken for me, and when we all repeat, it's broken for me, it's, we realize that it's, it's a personal thing, but it's, but it's also a communal thing that we get to experience together. Yeah, Jesus did die for you, but he died for us. And, and we get to share that together, and we get to hold that together as a church, as a, fault, as a disciple of God, our disciple of Jesus, and as sons and daughters of God. We hold those two realities together. So I'm going to invite us to, um, to the communion. If, you're, if you have it with you, please bring out your little cups and take out this uh, thin plastic part on top and take out the wafer. And as you have the wafer in your hand, please receive these words. The bread, this bread is made from, made from many grains, from many fields, yet it was formed into a single loaf. In the same way, we are from many cultures, from many places, but we are one body. The communion is a reminder that the body of Christ was broken so that we will be made one in Him. The body of Christ broken for you, and please respond with, the body of Christ broken for me. And if you will, got the plastic um, cup out and carefully uh, rip off this top piece. And please hold the cup and receive these words. Also, the juice of this cup contains many vines made by many hands, yet it pours freely. In the same way, let us pour ourselves freely, just as Christ modeled for us. May we be generous givers of our grace, mercy, and blessing to each other and to all. The cup of Christ poured out for you. And please repeat, the cup of Christ poured out for me. In response to elements, let's read this out loud together. Though we partake now from a distance, we long for the day to partake together in person. And though we partake now with partial satisfaction, we long for the full feast at the eternal table in the presence of God. <laughs> 